Appetite for risk, said Chuck, drunkenly. That's the problem with America, why we're in this mess. Risk? I said. Yes, came the slurred response. Or, I mean, our lack of appetite for it. We were back in Richard's place for a New Year's Eve party, with nearly everyone in the entire building, over forty people. After the break-in and the drama yesterday, we had two people on a rotating watch in the lobby, each armed with a thirty-eight and a cell phone that could broadcast alert messages to everyone in the building through Damon's mesh network. Some light had finally appeared at the end of the tunnel. The two radio stations still transmitting, New York Public Radio and New York Public Services, were predicting that power would be returned to Lower Manhattan within the next day. The Army Corps of Engineers had arrived and were throwing their weight behind fixing whatever the problem was. Heavy military helicopters were skimming the city all day, and the noise and commotion gave a feeling of safety, a sense that the big boys were here. We kept on hauling up snow for water, foraging outside, and trading with neighboring buildings for supplies, and inside did our best to clean up, decorate, and cook palatable food. Chuck wired the generator into the music system and TV at Richard's, and was playing videos and music from Damon's phone. Streamers hung from the ceiling. We'd invited the group from the second floor, nine people, up for the party. In the raid two days before, Paul's gang had stolen some of their supplies as well. They were celebrating Irina and Alexander as the heroes who had stopped them, a role the old couple weren't comfortable with, but accepted with smiles and nods. People stood around in groups chatting. Some even danced. If you closed your eyes, it was almost as if everything was normal. Almost. Nobody had showered in five days. Appetite for risk? said Rory. Yesterday you were saying we need more fear, and today you're saying we need more risk? I'm agreeing with you, replied Chuck. You are, said a bewildered Rory. I thought about it, and you're right. Fear isn't the answer. If we're afraid of everything, then we're afraid to do anything, and that means we're giving up our freedom. You were right. Over Chuck's shoulder I could see Susie and Lauren sitting on the carpet in the living room, holding up Luke and Ella Rose together, helping them dance. Everyone looked happy. Chuck grinned, picked up a bottle from the middle of the table, and poured himself another drink. We were sitting around Richard's kitchen table, with an assortment of his finest scotches in the middle. A few weeks ago, at one of my restaurants, said Chuck. Guess who walked in? This is going to be one of those stories. Who? Gene Kranz. Everyone but Damon shrugged. Had mission controller for Apollo? Right. Back in Gene's day, they were strapping themselves to rocket sleds and lighting the fuse with a cigar. Do you know the average age of the mission controller during the Apollo program? Now we all shrugged, but he wasn't really asking. Twenty-seven. Your point? My point is that these days people barely trust a twenty-seven-year-old to cook their burger, never mind land on the moon. Everything needs to be vetted by a million committees, 
and we're afraid of practically everything. We're just not willing to accept risk anymore, and it's killing this country. Exactly, agreed Rory. We're afraid of terrorists, so we let the government start to collect personal information about where we are and what we're doing, put up cameras everywhere. No risk, said Chuck, wagging one finger in the air, equals no freedom. But if you're not doing anything wrong, I pointed out, you have nothing to be afraid of. I don't mind giving up a little privacy for the sake of security. That's where you're wrong, countered Rory. You have everything to be afraid of. Where's that information going? I shrugged. In the new media business ventures I was working on, we collected huge amounts.